Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Matt Smith and Scrappy Will Peterson in for Chad and Nate this morning on Denver Sports Station 1043. The fan, the NFL has released, the NFL.com, I should say, has released their state of the Broncos, Will, which they do this every year. They go through every team and they kind of outline the offseasons, key departures, key additions, and they highlight different things that they are looking for in the upcoming year. It's interesting. They outlined three key dates here, Will, on the Broncos' schedule that they believe will have large impacts throughout the course of the season. And the first one is week one at Seattle on Monday night. They say, are you kidding me with this? I mean, this is like WrestleMania It's like a main event, something that should be built up for an entire season. As it is, though, I can't wait to see this in week one in primetime, Will. How much are you looking forward to just, A, seeing Russell Wilson get out there, but then you add the extra layer of context that it's against his old team? It's it's the perfect storyline, especially because it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the Broncos and Russell Wilson. You can't lose this game, Matt. You, You can't give up as much as you gave up for Russell Wilson, three starters, a load of draft picks, and make a huge upgrade at quarterback. Not not a baby upgrade, a huge upgrade at quarterback, and then go into Seattle, uh, a place he's very familiar with, and lose to a Seahawks team that I'm telling you, they may go, what, 3-14, and 4-13? and 13? I, I think Seattle is in potential number one overall pick type territory. Have you told James that? Uh, his boys up there, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. So, so they're, gonna, he, they're a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, he's got them at ten and seven. I'm sure, but they're yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be really bad, Matt. Yeah. So it's 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 fun because it's like ah, it's Russ versus old team and kind of cool storyline, and it's the last game of the week, so we're gonna have to wait till Monday Night Football for it. But I haven't heard much discussion about how much pressure is on the Broncos to win this game. Oh, tons. You tons. cannot lose to Drew Locke. Uh, in week one, like you, you just can't do it. And maybe it's Gino. We'll see. But regardless, you have a quarterback who on a on a one to a hundred scale is in the the low nineties, and their quarterbacks in the low sixties. And last time I checked in the classroom, that's an A minus versus a D minus. So the Broncos cannot lose week one. So when you outline this as a a key date, it, it's the most key. It's it's the number one key this whole season. The vibe of the entire 2022 season will be determined by week one in Seattle. Because if you lose it, can you recover? Sure. But you're always going to have that stain of Russell Wilson went back home and lost to Drew Locke. That's that's not something you easily recover from. I think it's by far no, that the most be, key date on the You calendar. don't recover from that. Yeah, yeah. That would be a rough one. Like, eventually, eventually you just think back to, oh, my God, I can't believe we lost to Drew. Like, oh, my God. Oh, and he's going to be dancing and, and oh, posting on social oh, media. Absolutely. And, and tweeting at the U.S. At the US Open. Open. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah it, so it, the, it would be a disaster. The consequences and, and the, the feeling around town, because people – Already have takes on the Russell Wilson trade, and I get it. But can you imagine the takes, Matt, Tuesday morning if they lose in Seattle? 
That is going to be brutal. So, yeah, Yeah. I see why it's a key date for them without a doubt. Their second key date is week four at the Raiders. NFL.com says, quote, this begins a pretty important stretch for the Broncos with the Colts and Chargers coming up after this week before things ease up against the Jets and the Jags in London. Divisional wins are key. Will, in my opinion, divisional wins are the key to making the playoffs this season for the Denver Broncos, as they typically are for most teams, but this year especially considering how competitive the AFC West is. I believe you need to sweep at bare minimum one of the three teams to make the playoffs this season, be it the Chiefs, the Chargers, or the Raiders, to make the playoffs. Otherwise, I think you get into that territory of, well, did we cannibalize ourselves in this division out of having many representatives, possibly three? I've even seen people speculate that all four make it in. I can't even imagine the set of circumstances that would have to go in for that to happen. But if you look at the AFC West and you wanted to make the argument that the four best teams in the AFC outside of Buffalo, right, are in the AFC West, I'd allow it. Absolutely. And if you're going to sweep one of them, to your point of the path to the postseason, the Raiders are by far the most likely. The Raiders don't have nearly... By far? Yeah, by far. Okay. Okay. Uh, I I think that the downgrade in quarterback from Kansas City and Los Angeles to, to Las Vegas is significant. And, by the way... Vegas was a playoff team last year. Yeah, they're... They, they got two wins against the Broncos because Vic Fangio could never beat the Raiders. Okay. And why doesn't NFL.com mention who the Raiders coach is? They, this one has <laughs> as much juice as week one in that aspect. You think Russ wants to beat his own team? Of course. Are there any players left from the Josh McDaniels era? Obviously not. But are there hundreds of thousands? Let me correct that. Millions of fans of the Broncos who still despise Josh McDaniels? Absolutely. There is so much added juice to beating McDaniels when he takes a head coaching job some 12, 13 years later after he ran the Broncos into the ground for a couple seasons with his antics here in Denver. I think I think that Broncos country would love to beat Josh McDaniels maybe more than anyone. Can you think of a, a former player or coach that right now, that's still involved in the game, that Broncos fans would want to beat more than Josh McDaniels. Yeah, yeah, he's high on the list. If he's not number, if he's not number one, I don't know who is. Quite frankly, I yeah. can't think <laughs> yeah. of anyone off the top of my yeah. head. Like, there's not that kind of animosity towards Vance Joseph when the Broncos play the Cardinals. It's not like, oh, we got to beat Vance Joseph. Like, whatever. Vance Joseph just didn't work out here. It happens. What McDaniels did. With the the scandal and the the taping in London and and thinking he's baby Bill Belichick and them starting six and zero and then just going downhill, I mean McDaniel's he did some unforgivable things. I, I, I'm racking my brain for a guy, either a player or a coach, that Broncos fans want to beat more than Josh McDaniel's, and I can't think of one. Like you have to go back to like Eddie Kennison and and his yeah. antics with the Broncos and the Chiefs to think of a guy who was truly disliked at the level that Josh McDaniels is. So there's obviously important playoff implications, no doubt, but there's a revenge factor in this game too. The third week that uh, NFL.com has highlighted here as a pivotal week and a key date in this Broncos season is week 17 at the Kansas City Chiefs, the second to last week of the regular season. They say, quote, the Chiefs have owned the Broncos for some time now, though Mahomes doesn't make a big show about it like some 
other quarterbacks around the league might. Both Chiefs games are coming late in the year. They also play them in Week 14 in Denver. This means they will likely be pivotal. I think that's fair to say. If there was one big goal this season, you know, one like minor goal that an individual, you know, individual week goal that you'd really like to accomplish, just get one of the two against KC. You got (laughs) to end this 13-game losing streak. It is enough already. Yeah, it's gone on far too long. Uh, the Broncos owned the Chiefs during the Peyton Manning era, not losing to them, I believe, until the game Peyton had to leave when he broke the record and it was awkward and he got hurt and was throwing all the interceptions. And I, I don't think they've beaten them since. So, yes, they need to uh, get that monkey off their back by getting a win against them. But they also, Matt, as you mentioned, weeks 14 and 17, if they are where they want to be, and that is contention for the AFC West – then these two games should absolutely determine the outcome of the division. And obviously they have the Chargers in week 18. We we still have to remember there is 18 weeks. When I first saw week 17, I was thinking, oh, last game. But no, there's 18 weeks now. But don't you think that if the AFC West is, is their goal, that these two games, if everything goes right, I know that's a big if, will determine the winner of the division? It's it's quite possible they will. I mean, you need to sweep at least one of the three, and you need to split with the other two. I think that's the other crucial part I, I failed to mention there. that That's key, Will. You've got to get wins against at least everybody in your division, seeing them twice. you got to find a way to do it, and now you're capable of doing so with Russell Wilson. So for me, I do believe that it's not, first of all, it's not only going to be big as far as the record goes, it's going to be really important to their psyche. If they lose two heading into the playoffs, like, well, we didn't beat the Chiefs this year. You know, the Chiefs would probably be lying down the road. If the Broncos make the postseason, good chance the Chiefs are going to be in the playoffs, right? At least we think so far, depending, unless something just, you know, colossal happens with the loss of Tyreek Hill, which I won't rule it out. Well, won't rule it out. I think he's a big part of that team, but I still think that they've got plenty left. The state of the Broncos goes on to illustrate some other key aspects, Will, of this season for Denver, including what shouldn't people overlook about this 22 Broncos team and what their baseline is for a successful season. Let's keep rolling with the state of the Broncos, and we're going to do it next on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Oh, please, don't you rock my boat. Matt Smith in for Chad and Nate alongside Will Peterson today. Good old scrappy Will kind enough to join me this morning. Will, we had a little trivia question for the text line earlier, if you remember. And the question was, there are three out of the last four quarterbacks to change teams after recording 250 or more touchdowns with their initial team that have gone on to win the Super Bowl. Who was the only one who did not? Who was your guess there? Yeah, so I was thinking about it this whole time, and I promise I didn't cheat or or read too many text messages. My initial gut, Matt, was Brett Favre. Was that right? Okay. Yes. Right, but but he wouldn't. He didn't win the Super Bowl outside of Green Bay. Right. I thought that was the point of the question. He didn't go on to win it. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a good question. But he didn't. But that 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 wasn't three out of the last four. There have been four more recent ones. Ah, see, but Favre qualifies because he won it in Green Bay, where he probably threw two hundred and fifty right. touchdowns. Then he you're right. He went to Minnesota and obviously the Jets and all that. But he never did get another one. Although he should have with the Vikings. He blew that NFC title game down in New Orleans. But that is a story for a different day. Yeah, for sure. So we've gotten a ton of Brett Favre. A lot of people said Joe Montana. Matt Ryan, <laughs> Matt Ryan, I guess you could say falls to that category already. <laughs> wow. Um, took uh, me Kirk a second. Cousins, yeah, t- yeah, it took like two weeks, right? It took like a couple months, right? That's how long he's been in Indy. Right. Um, and then uh, we've gotten Kurt Warner. Uh, but the correct answer here is Phyllis Rivers. I'm sorry, Philip Rivers. Wow. Sorry, Philip Rivers. I didn't know Phillip if you Rivers. did that intentionally yeah. or not. No, no, no. Philip Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was never intentional. I would never smear his name. Yeah. Yeah. If you're wondering, Wilson threw 292 scoring strikes in Seattle. So that is the answer to our little trivia question there. Uh, there's a few an- uh, uh, comments on the text line that, that we should get to as well. Uh, this one coming in, and by the way, if you want to chime in, please feel free to do so. 303-713-1043. This one coming in. McDaniels in the Raiders, number one most hated for sure. This other one says, the only credit I can give McDaniels is giving us Decker and DT. <laughs> this one, I imagine, Will, this is going to be from a Chiefs fan. Broncos fans want to be Patrick Mahomes more than anybody. That's a fact. <laughs> Us Broncos fans. You know what? Us Broncos fans would love to be Kansas City right now and the success that they're having, which is why we're all so excited for Russell Wilson here in Denver. We were talking about the state of the Broncos a little bit earlier. We just broke down the three key dates that the NFL.com has outlined in their feature, that being week one at Seattle, week four at Vegas, and week 17 at Kansas City. They also outlined, Will, what people should not overlook about this Broncos team. They say, quote, how awesome the Broncos defense already was last season. The 7-10 and 10 finish and lack of sacks aside, Denver had a pretty good defense last year, ranking third in points allowed per game at 18.9 and eighth in total yards allowed per game at 326.1. In fact, the Broncos allowed 17 or fewer points in 10 games last year, which was tied for the most such games in the NFL with the Buffalo Bills. The Broncos were 7-3 and three in those games, and those three losses, when allowing 17 points or fewer, were tied for the most in the NFL. But that should not be repeated with Wilson aboard, they say. The Broncos were 0-7, Will, when they allowed more than 20 points per game. You know, this is, uh, <laughs> where do you stand on this whole, the Broncos defense was actually pretty good last season. I'm curious, because there's a lot of split split opinion here. And before I give you my take, I'm curious for yours. Yeah, they were good on paper. You just outlined the stats that came from NFL.com of uh, the the 17 or fewer points in 10 games last year, tied for the most with the Buffalo Bills, who, in my opinion, should have won the Super Bowl. That all looks fine and dandy, but in terms of the dynamic, playmaking, highlight reel-type plays, I I challenge anyone to name more than two or three off the top of their head. Uh, the Pat Sertan pick six was special. Bradley Chubb fumble recovery. In in Las Vegas, yes, that yep. was special. Okay, but we just got two. I said two or three. Like, I, oh, I, no, no, I'm, I'm just trying to go through them and right. prove your point. I can come up with those two. I'm, I'm struggling for a third. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, and I get it was the playoffs in the postseason, but the Super Bowl 50 run, 
I can think of about six off the top of my head, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, they just come to you like that. The, the fumble they forced against the Steelers. Von Miller blowing up Tom Brady. Von Miller picking off Tom Brady. DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller making life crazy for Cam Newton. Like, there's just play after play that comes to mind. The T.J. Ward fumble recovery. The Didn't Tlaib have some pick sixes that year, too? In the, in the regular season, absolutely. He had yeah. a couple. He had the one week one against Baltimore. He had the one up in Cleveland, which I was believe was like week four or week five. Yeah, I mean, it was a plethora. Hell, they had the scoop and score in week two in Kansas City. Remember Brandon Marshall knocked the sure, ball yeah. out from Jamal Charles? No doubt. And uh, it was Bradley Roby with the with the pickup scoop and score to to stun the Chiefs on a Thursday night. So while the stats were fine and dandy, the the eye test, Matt, they didn't really pass it last year. And, and a lot of people have argued that was a product of Vic Fangio, defensive guru, sort of liked protecting the stats so he could have ammo of hey, it's it's not my fault. Look at the defensive stats. We tied with Buffalo for the fewest amount of seventeen. Uh, or, or the most amount of 17 or fewer points in a game, but they, they didn't they didn't pass the test from uh, if you're just watching on a casual Sunday going that's a dynamic electric playmaking defense that was a defense that gave up first down after first down and sort of did the bend but don't break thing and the opposing team was kicking a lot of 23 yard field goals. Sure. That's, that's other- how I felt watching that defense last year. So I think there there's absolutely room for an upgrade this year with a lot of the same personnel. Yeah, and the the quote here, the seven and ten finish and lack of sacks aside. Wait, well, hold on. There's no, we can't really do that. That was the first time I think. I think the just the yeah, the first time in eleven seasons that the Broncos failed to eclipse forty team sacks. So yeah, they didn't create a lot of pressure in the backfield. They didn't get teams off the field in high leverage situations, and certainly will. There were not enough turnovers created in the secondary, which is why they went out and added a guy like a uh, like a Randy Gregory, right, and a DJ. Jones to bolster that defensive line so they could get pressure in the backfield, be better against the run, right? As we know, Denver's run defense last season was ranked 21st in football outsiders DVOA, and they failed in so many key moments to stop the run. Will, do you not remember the second half of the Raider game when Josh Jacobs, five yards, six yards, 10 yards, seven yards, you know, they could not stop him and they marched the ball all the way down the field. The other thing that I think NFL.com is not taking to, into account here, Will, is how much the Broncos ran the ball last year. There weren't a ton of possessions, right? So they killed a lot of clock. They played the bend, don't break, and they played safe, Will, but they can't play safe this year in order to have success i'm curious this season what is your baseline for the denver broncos and and for for us to call the broncos season a successful campaign in terms of just strictly record wins and losses no 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 no. i'm saying what do they have to do for you at the end of the year to call this a successful season well they 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 absolutely yeah yeah it's not the super bowl but they absolutely have to make the playoffs and that's non-negotiable Seven of the 16 teams in the AFC will make the playoffs. You mentioned earlier that there's some wacky predictions out there that say all four AFC West teams will make the playoffs. I'm not willing to go that far, but I I would put pretty good money on it that the three of the four teams will make the playoffs in the AFC West. So do you really want to be the one team that obviously finishes fourth in the division and doesn't make the playoffs when you just traded multiple first-round picks and three starters for Russell Wilson? Of course not. So the, the, the bare minimum is the playoffs, and Matt... I I kind of get to the point where I think you should probably win a playoff game too. 
Because I, I, I think that just sort or of... Or at least have a chance to win, right? At least have a very good chance to win whoever you play in that first round of the playoffs. Right. right? If you're the seven seed, you know, the, only the one gets the bye now. So let's say they barely sneak in and you're the seven and Casey's the one and you got to go to Buffalo. Okay. Is that game going to be close? Maybe, maybe not. That's a, that's a heck of a task. But if you win the AFC West and host a playoff game, you absolutely need to win it. And if you're the five or the six... Who says you can't go into the winner of the AFC South or the AFC North and win that playoff game? You're telling me you can't go into to Indy or Cincy? I understand Indy and Cincy are both pretty good teams, and I understand Cincinnati made the Super Bowl. But if you have Russell Wilson, you should be able to go beat Matt Ryan and compete with Joe Burrow. I don't think that's an unfair expectation. So bare minimum for me, make the playoffs and, and maybe win a playoff game and, to your point, at least be competitive in it. Yeah, and if you look at the margin, you know, the talent margin, the quality margin between the, you know, the last playoff team in the AFC and the first, and, and, and whoever finishes with the top overall seed in the AFC, well, it's probably not going to be as large as it, has, as it has been in years past, right? So I do think that there will be a very good chance, if things go the way that we think they could, for the Broncos to make the playoffs and not only make them, but not back in. That's my baseline for success. Make the playoffs and don't back in you know go into the playoffs with some momentum and as you said have a chance to be competitive at a bare minimum in that game coming up next we've got an nhl insider giving us an update about nazem kadri it's denver sports station 104.3 the fan denver sports station 104.3 the fan presents chad and nate Well, you see a lot of teams are interested in the surface, of course. But a lot of teams have kind of checked off their center ice position, allocating four, five, six million dollars to that spot already. So some of the possibilities for Nas are running out. And I look around the league, we just talked about Calgary. Calgary, of course, if Goudreau's gone, they have money. They tried to get Nazem Kadri previously in his career. They like him as a player. Why wouldn't they? He's not afraid of playing in Canada or in a big market. So maybe there's a fit there if they want to move on and stay competitive post-Goudreau. But you think about some other teams that have a ton of cap space. Seattle would obviously have a huge upgrade and need in the middle with Nazem Kadri. I think Buffalo could make some noise in that regard as well. But the longer this goes, Jay, I wonder if... They're not trying to find some sort of way to finesse him back into Colorado. Seems unlikely, given their salary cap constraints and McKinnon's extension coming up. But just the longer it goes, the more likely they're going to continue to talk to each other and see if they can't find a solution. That was Mike Johnson talking to Jay Onright at TSN about Nazem Kadri. Filling in today for Chad and Nate, it's Matt Smith. And Will Peterson of DenverFan.com has joined us as well. Will, it does appear now that we are firmly 48 hours past the opening of NHL free agency that the options are becoming more limited for Nazem Kadri. We heard last night from Adrian Dater, our fans avalanche insider, that Calgary came in late to make a play and possibly a big offer to Nazem Kadri. But as we know, Chris McFarland and Joe Sackick have told Kadri's camp to keep them apprised of any new developments. And essentially, to me, Will, that says that they want the first right of refusal to match anything. But we do know that the Avalanche only have $3.9 million left in cap space. And in order to sign Kadri, if they didn't want to go over the cap, 
during the offseason to the point where they'd have to trim right down to the cap by opening night, then they're going to have to move some salary out. How would you feel if the Avs had to move on from Sam Girard in order to retain Nazem Kadri? I like Sam Girard. I don't love Sam Girard. And Sam Girard broke his sternum in Game 3 of the Blues series, and they didn't really miss a beat. There, there wasn't a lot of moments the rest of the playoffs where I found myself saying, oh, boy, if they only had Sam Girard right now, they, they could win this. You know what I'm saying? It never, mm-hmm. it never reached the point where you missed Sam Girard all that much. And that sounds harsh, but here's the thing, Matt. Is Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland more likely to trade Girard knowing they just won a cup without Girard? And you hate to learn that the way you learned it because you learned it by him breaking his sternum against the boards in St. Louis. And I'm not wishing injury on anyone, obviously. But the lesson you learned after that was fairly valuable. And that's your team's just as good without Samuel Girard. And a lot of that is because Bowen Byram could slot right in. And Bowen Byram is more talented offensively than Samuel Girard. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. So I wonder if Nazem Kadri may be back with the Avalanche in part because they realize Sam Girard is expendable after Jack Johnson came in and replaced him adequately. Was he an upgrade from Girard? No. But was he an adequate replacement? Yes. And if you can get $6 million by moving on from Sam Girard? Five. Excuse me, five? uh, 8.9 total? Now you're looking at a situation where you can offer Nazem Kadri the type of contract he is looking for. And I think that's got to be very tempting for Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland to pull off. I assume you're thinking something similar here. <laughs> yeah, the six million I think you're thinking of is Eric Johnson's contract. My bad. Yeah. 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 No, Get my millions confused. Has- yeah, yeah, you did. Just just, just off by one, though, so we'll, we'll let you slide. EJ, of course, only has one year left on his deal, and there has been speculation. It's like, well, do the Avs possibly ask him to restructure? But that doesn't really happen in the NHL, so I don't see that happening, and I don't think it would go over very well with everybody. This is most likely EJ's last run, so I fully expect that contract to stay on the books, as I think that it should. He's earned it in his time in Denver, and I think he played a big role for these Avs last year. EJ led the team in hits in, regular, in the regular regular season. So, yeah, I mean, when when you look at Sam Gerrard, this this question on the text line, and I think it kind of plays into what you just asked me, and if you want to join in on the RamosLaw.com text line, please feel free to do so. 720, um, excuse me, 303-713-1043. Had a bit of a brain fart there for a minute. This one says, Matt, I know you're not a huge fan of Sam Gerrard, but I personally like his game quite a bit, and I don't think the app should be so quick to trade him. He is small, yes, but his ability to transition from the defensive zone to offense is excellent. What are your thoughts, DK? Thanks for the text, DK. Here's my thoughts on that. And for everybody who's like, no, you can't trade him. This guy's valuable. And I think we've heard even the Avalanche feel very strongly about keeping him. The problem here is, Will that Sam Gerrard has been surpassed by better offensive defensemen. And that's what he brings to the table. He's not a defensive defenseman. He's never been. In fact, he was so bad defensively in the playoffs against Vegas that the Avs were very upset with him for his performance, and you could easily make the argument that he helped cost them that series with a lot of his play. And, of course, we saw it in the postseason when he got stapled by Barbashev against St. Louis and broke his sternum. Like, that sucks. You know, you don't want to have to be 
in a vulnerable position like that where you've got a guy that really doesn't know how to protect himself at all times. We've seen it so many different ways now, Will. And for me, more than that, it's that he's not a good defender, and he is now on your third pair defensively. And if you've been surpassed by younger, cheaper options, right, like he has with Bo Byram, you can't afford to be paying your third line, you know, your third pair defenseman $5 million a year when you're trying to retain so many other key pieces. And yeah, he in the past has been a part of this avalanche core, but do I see him as irreplaceable or essential to a cup? No, he wasn't essential to this cup, right? We saw him get hurt in the second round. So for me, you know, and I actually would give you a little pushback as far as, you know, Jack Johnson coming in. I think they did get better in their defensive zone when Mm. he came in. And the last news we heard on Jack Johnson from Adrian Dater is that Johnson is very likely to re-sign with Colorado after they figure out what they're going to do about second line center. So, Will, that becomes the question then. If Kadri does walk, the Avs are going to have a hole to fill at second line center. From what I saw this year, I don't believe Alex Newhook is ready, and JT Comper was given that opportunity, but didn't do all that much with it. That's just not who he is. So, without Kadri, if he does walk, where do you think the Avs stand? How would you grade this offseason? Yeah, I think the grade is, is a working B right now. B as in Bumblebee. Like, I, I just think that they've done really well. If you had told me they're going to bring back Lekkonen and they're going to bring back Nachushkin and they're going to bring back Manson and Cogliano and Helm, I mean, that's a huge chunk of the team that just helped you win the Stanley Cup. And we all knew you weren't going to be able to keep everyone. Uh, you, you let Andre Burakovsky walk, fine. You let Darcy Kemper, fine. But you had... Georgiev ready to go from the Rangers and brought him in via trade for three draft picks. Uh, the Kadri thing would, would elevate it to an A, but right now it's a working B, but I still haven't read the essay yet. I don't know what the final part of the test is. I'm the teacher waiting to see if the essay bumps the grade up, and that could be adding Nazem Kadri back to this core. And a couple of things that I want to hit on real quick that you said. First of all, a lot of people thought Tyson Berry was a part of the core of the Avs, and they were super upset when they traded Tyson yeah, Berry. Good point. And guess who they got for Tyson Berry? Nazem Kadri. So that all worked out just fine. And second of all, real quickly, Matt, you look at the, the cap hits on this team. As you mentioned, Gerard's at five. Well, you have to clear room. So here are the top 15, or not 15, but the top dozen or so cap hits. Rantanen, not trading him. McCarr, no. Landeskog, no. McKinnon, no. Nichushkin, you just signed. Eric Johnson, we've talked about, probably not. Manson, you just signed. Lekkinen, you just signed. Taze, you're certainly not trading. Comfer, Georgiev, Francois, Cogliano, Helm. So I just rattled off all the names. And realistically, Matt, the only one that they can trade is Sam Gerrard with, right. with, with a little bit of a 1A JT Comfer, but he's only making three and a half. So I don't know if that gets you enough money to get the Cadre deal done. So fans are saying, well, don't, don't do Gerard, do someone else. Well, who? I just named all the names. There's no one else to do. Like, Gerard is, through no fault of his own, kind of the odd man out here. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll get back to this because I, I want to talk to you about what would happen if you did move Comfer. And there's also been some developments in this Altitude and Comcast feud, and it doesn't look encouraging, Will. That's next on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Why would you do that? They say you got a boyfriend. 
too late. Too late to be out. <laughs> Will Peterson joining me this morning. Matt Smith filling in for Chad and Nate. Matt and Scrap. Matt and Scrap. Matt and Scrap. I got it right that time. I, I wanted to make sure before we uh, called it a day that I, that I didn't. You got one? That I didn't. Well, I, I didn't. You know, I, I called it Scrap and Matt, and I think I kind of right. hurt your feelings a little bit. So I oh, wanted I to. Was, I was crushed. <laughs> I was crushed. I wanted to here. correct yeah. my error before yeah. we wrap this thing up. Well, I'm glad you did because it would have eaten at me all weekend long. Oh, so I'm, I'm sure. Glad you it would have just you have... ruined your weekend. Yeah, I would have. It would have. Do you have big plans this weekend, Will? Uh, nothing too exciting. I think I'm going to try to play a little bit of golf. You mentioned the, the twilight golf being the, the best time to play because I'm trying to avoid the five and a half hour round. I think that is right. the play. It's almost like you read my mind because I played a little twilight golf last night. Nice. And let's just nice. say I got in like 14 holes in about two hours. That's pretty good. Uh, that's uh, uh, you're playing a couple 18 more in, shots on the fairway, and you'll you know get eighteen in two hours. I know, but my point is eighteen and five and a half, or fourteen and two. Which one are you taking? I'm taking the fourteen and two. I'll skip the extra four holes for three and a half hours of my time. So it was it was well worth it to play at dusk, and I won't name the course, but they were a little lax on the the rules, and so we teed off on the back, and then it was like, well, 11's open. Let's go play 11 again. That's that's my nice. kind of golf right Yeah, there. man. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That's my vibe, too, except I probably would have just played in the dark for the final four holes. <laughs> that no you would have gotten all it. 18 in. I like it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So we have an update on the Nazem Kadri ongoing wait. And our Nas, what'd you call it? The Cadre Watch? Cadre Watch, yeah. baby. We're, Kadri, we're going on hour uh, 49 here in about 10 minutes. Yeah, hour 49 of the Cadre Watch. And typically in the NHL, we, we see big names and they move on day one. And that's about it. And then everybody takes a vacation for the summer. But Nazem Kadri's taking his time, which lends more credence to the thought that, well, maybe he's giving the Avs some time to work on deals to possibly clear some cap. Because as we now know, according to Dean Molberg, who's the host of the morning show on the home of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet 960, the fan, he says last night, quote, I'm told the Flames did speak with Kadri's camp today, but barring a chance, a change of heart, excuse me, on either side, there is no deal forthcoming, which is wonderful news and definitely lends more credence to the fact that, hey, look, this is not over yet between Nazem Kadri and the Colorado Avalanche. And as we heard last segment from Mike Johnson of TNM, uh, TSN talking to uh, uh, Jay on right, that there is a good chance that Colorado's trying to work something out here for Nazem Kadri, and we talked about possible trade options if you were trying to move cap. And you brought you brought up uh, JT Comperwell. Yes, and, and his three and a half million, and is that significant enough of a cap figure that you could also get the Kadri deal done? Because I, I ran through the list of names before the break, Matt. Fans are saying, "Well, we don't want to trade Gerard. There is no one else to trade because you're right. not going to trade." Ranton McKinnon, Landis Gogmakar, obviously, and you're not going to trade any of the guys you just re-signed. So it's not Gerard and Comfer's fault, but they are sort of the odd man out to create cap space. Now, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Is Comfer's three and a half enough, and would you be willing to move on from JT Comfer, much like I know you would be willing to move on from Samuel Gerard, as would I? 
Right. And so the Avs are sitting at a $3.9 million remaining available cap space number at the moment. So you've got basically $4 million left in cap space. If you move comp for that only clears 3.5, right? So then you're at 7.5. And, and we know that they still have a few more holes to fill in, specifically defensively. And if you were to move Comfort, you'd probably be looking to bring in another center, unless you thought Ben Myers, who they signed as the captain of the University of Minnesota, who made it deep in the uh, Frozen Four, if you think he's ready to be your third-line center, which I don't think so. I mean, we saw a few games from him at the end of the season, but he's not a guy that I would bring in. And and again, if you move Comfort, you're still short on center. So I don't think that's an option, really. I don't think it makes sense. If you think about it, the Avs lost some of their big penalty killers, right? I mean, you think about it, and, and Nico Sturm's gone. That's a guy they brought in to play big penalty kill minutes. Obey Kubel even saw some time on the penalty kill. So, you know, when I look at it, you need Comfer as one of your primary penalty killers, in my opinion, for next season. I know they like to use Lekkinen and Nachushkin, but certainly I believe Comfer would be at a minimum on PK2 next season. So, I don't like the move to move Comfer. I wouldn't do it. That one, I don't think makes sense. And I think you probably have to get rid of at least one other person which maybe you cut some you know trim some fat on the depth but i don't think there's any room for it they're right up against it will the money is tight it's tight right now so i just don't think so there was some news that dropped this morning uh the avalanche have signed to a two-year deal two-way a two-year two-way deal brad hunt who was a left shot defenseman who played last with the Canucks. He's kind of been a career journeyman. He is 34 next month and played 50 games for the Vancouver Canucks last year. He had three goals and 17 points. I believe that's probably a replacement for Ryan Murray. I still think there's room for Jack Johnson to get done there, so that would be my guess. And the Eagles, I think, lost some big defensive pieces last year, as Adrian Dater points out, so probably a replacement for them. But, yeah, as far as Kadri goes, that is the news of the day, Will, is that – Calgary was told that unless Nas changes his mind, it's not going to happen. So the list of potential suitors now dwindles even more to possibly teams that don't have a lot to compete for. So for Will, for me, Will, I, I look at this situation and I go, the Avs got to be feeling pretty good here, don't you think? Yeah, I woke up on uh, Wednesday morning when free agency started, and I think my cadre meter was at like 10%. Uh, a 10% chance that he would be back in an Avalanche uniform. And then when they paid Manson in and Lekin in, it went down to 5% because it was, well, they're not going to have the money to afford Nazem Kadri. They, they've run out of cap space. And then yesterday you see the reports from Adrian Dater that, hold on now, Kadri may want to come back to Colorado. Maybe he slept on it Wednesday night after hearing all the offers and said, why would I want to leave a city that I'm beloved in? Why would I want to leave a town that I go up in front of half a million people at the parade and they can't stop chanting my name? Why does that make much sense for me. And then today, it's now Friday. I think I went to about 30% yesterday. Matt, after hearing what you just outlined with the, with the reports up in Calgary and sort of the, the time is still ticking, and as we're joking, hour 49, I'm at a solid coin flip. And that's that's way, way higher than I, I would have been uh, yesterday and certainly on Wednesday. I, I think this is truly 50-50, whether or not the Avalanche retain Nazem Kadri. And I can't begin to describe how big a win that would be for this team to get Kadri back, not have to dive into the how do we fix the second line center issue. That solves that problem. And just from a heart and soul locker room guy, he's probably the fifth best player on the team from a pure skill standpoint. 
but heart and soul, what he did, Game 4 in St. Louis after the the death threats and the racism he went through, and then Game 4 in Tampa to score the game-winning goal in overtime, you cannot overstate his importance to this team. Matt, as we wrap this baby up, I'm a coin flip, and that's a good feeling as an Az fan and should be a good feeling for Az fans all over Denver. Yeah, I didn't think we'd get here. I didn't. I, I was I was firmly under the impression that he would be gone. I thought there'd be significant offers, and so maybe even I over-anticipated the market. But at the same time, I think we're learning more and more that it might actually be Nas wanting to be here, which would be great. You'd love to see that. And I think there was there's a mutual bond between him and the fans that has really organically come about here, and it would be a big loss. I know there's a lot of people, Will, that are very casual hockey fans, that know the name Nazem Kadri more than they know some of these other big names like Amiko Rantanen, right? So for me, I, I definitely think that it's an encouraging sign. And, and the other thing we're going to keep eyes on is whether or not they can get something worked out with Nathan McKinnon. We know that's certainly a priority as well. Hopefully that doesn't drag on too long. I know they want to get that done this summer. But, uh, you know, some wrinkles here and there. We'll see what happens and what Joe and Chris McFarland can figure out. Will, scrap, it was fun today, buddy. Really enjoyed it, Matt. And uh, let's just hope that Kadri Watch doesn't bleed into the weekend. I'm hoping it yes. gets done today, yeah, baby. Bring yeah, him home, Joe. Bring him home. Let's get this done today. Come on, Nas. I mean, it can't be – you can't have that much of a decision to make at this point, right? Okay. Uh, Orlando and Cecil are up next. That's scrap. I'm Matt. Have a good weekend, everybody. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.